So Danny, this is crazy. Danny goes, so last time I was on this highway, I was like driving to Bardstown, not going here, but going to Bardstown. It was flight was delayed two in the morning and he was falling asleep behind the wheel. This is, and by the way, I thought this was like a couple of years ago. It was like six months ago. <laughs> he never told me the story. So he calls one, it's two in the morning. He calls, so he doesn't fall asleep. He calls one of those timeshare guys. Be like, hey, I'm looking interested in a timeshare. Tell me about Hawaii. And they'll just talk for 45 minutes. No Are you shitting me? Yeah. So he does that. And then, you don't know, you want to finish it? <laughs> it's like, I, I ended up falling asleep and I hit the median bounce. <laughs> oh my God. Bounce four lanes across the highway. Dude. And totally wrecked the whole left side of the rental car. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. And, and then he like looks at me. I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Timeshare to crash. And I'm like, Wow, like, I never just heard this story. Me, yeah, you never just <laughs> tell me this now. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Starting a brand is no easy task. I know, you hear us talk about it all the time on the show, and that's because there's a lot of fails before you ever see your first success. And there's a lot to the industry that has to be taken into account, from the regulatory aspect, supply chain, the sales motion and distribution, and just a whole lot more. Well, Mike Palladini and Danny Polisi from Penelope Bourbon, they joined the show to talk about how a wild idea to start a whiskey company grew into one of the hottest new brands on the market. So they traveled to Indiana and checked out MGP. And that was after reading an article on how that craft whiskey you like is actually from a factory in Indiana. From there, it's been a roller coaster of emotions. And now they're working on new projects to reach even more bourbon enthusiasts. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from David Blackman, who writes me on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. And he says, uh, I would appreciate your view on the Texas climate for aging whiskey. Besides the limestone water, I always thought Kentucky was perfect place for making bourbon because of the temperature variation and the impact on how the liquid interacts with the wood. It seems to me that Texas is too hot to the proper interaction with the wood to age whiskey. Do you have a view? Why, David Blackman, as a matter of fact, I do. You see, we are in a new territory of aging whiskey right now. We have whiskey in warehouses in Alabama, in New Mexico, in Texas, in all these climates that whiskey has not really been aged for a long period of time. And we are starting to see the results of that. Now, I don't think anyone can question the success of Texas whiskey. Whether you like it or not, the sales are there. People are showing up for Balconas, Iron Root, Garrison Brothers, TX Whiskey. I mean, the whiskey that's coming out of Texas is going toe-to-toe with a lot of folks. But I'll look at some other places that have unique environments similar to Texas, like Frey Ranch in Nevada. They have um, you know different climates for sure, but they're not getting those like crazy winters like we will here in Kentucky from time to time. And that whiskey is also doing quite well. Is the flavor similar to a Kentucky? You know what? It's really not. But my point here is that the climates are creating new flavors that we really haven't seen in bourbon styles in my lifetime for sure, and I would say ever. But if you think about the heat, 
like the heat really pushes that whiskey deeper inside the wood. And if the deeper you go, the more wood sugars you extract out, depending on how the barrel was made. You got to imagine at, at some point you're going to get a lot of those like nice caramel notes. However, you leave it in the barrel for too long, too deep on the wood, you might extract some of the green notes that you do not want, and then it becomes over-oaked. So I think there's a balance there that these distillers in hot climates have to strike. You know, they have to know when to pull their barrels out. You know, Woodford Reserve, Michters, they heat cycle their warehouses. So they would love to have that constant heat like they have in Texas in a lot of ways. But you got to remember, too, it's it's humid in some of those places or in the cases of uh, like uh, Nevada, it's dry. And all that has an impact. All that has an impact. And I do think it's important that we have this variation in today's market of American whiskey. Hey, that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you would like to be like David Blackman, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button and let me know your question. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome, everybody. Back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here today talking with two guys that we've actually known for quite a while, and we've also shared some some insider story, I guess you could say industry secrets every once in a while of trying to trip over starting a brand and all the hurdles that it takes to actually get one started. And 
it's going to be kind of good conversation to learn more about their past and their history, where their brand came from, but more or less like how and why they wanted to get into this side of the business too. Yeah, we're trying to learn how to, you know, maybe squeak by on some tax dollars or something. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, they, we're all in this together. You know, we're all, it, I think we started probably at similar times, our brands. And so uh, it's been cool to see like how, I think they're growing a little bit faster than we are. I right, read it right earlier. Times, I think it was 26 states and four countries they're in right now. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I've met these guys and passing it at certain events, but we really haven't sat down. So I'm excited to learn more about them and, yeah, hear it all about Penelope and the great things they got going on there. Yeah, it's going to be good. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, you know, barrels and all this other kind of stuff that comes down to. So today on the show, you already heard from Penelope Bourbon, we have Mike Palladini. He's the CEO and Danny Polisi, and he is the COO. So fellas, welcome to Bourbon Pursuit. You made excited it. To, excited to be here. Right. Uh, now, yep. Thank you guys for having us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. So before we get into the bourbon and the whiskey, so two Jersey boys, right? So kind of talk about like growing, because you guys are childhood friends, right? Yeah, we grow. We were next door neighbors growing up our whole life. Yeah. And wow. So mm-hmm. was it like uh, playing street hockey or something like that? How would you all like get the friendship going? Yeah. I mean, we, we were literally, our backyards connected to each other and we hung out all the time. We used to get lost in the woods. <laughs> well, you had, you had, uh, what, kind what of, were you doing in the woods? <laughs> uh, who knows? Playing paintball, but you had you had uh, what the red go kart. Yep. I had the dingo. Mm-hmm. Remember that the big tires? Yeah. He had, he always threw great high school parties. So oh, I really? I wasn't about. Yeah, my parents were always home. His parents were they were gone pretty. Okay. They were gone a lot. Yeah 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 yeah. I was party Danny. Yeah. So Danny it was worked yeah, out. I was good. at house. Yeah. All right. What's the what's the biggest epic party that you had? Because I'm thinking. What was that movie? It was like Rated X or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, Project X. Project X. Do you remember, remember no, that? No, I didn't see it. Okay, it's basically this high school party that just goes bananas. But it was it was after homecoming, I think, one year. Everybody was coming over to the house, and the Yankees were in the playoffs, and we were coming back, and all the cars were lined up, and I wouldn't let anybody in the house until the Yankees won. <laughs> <laughs> once they won, it was like game on. Everybody rolled in. Yeah, and Danny was a good host. He had, was kind of carefree, like just have at it, <laughs> get after it. Huh? Yeah, just don't so break anything. Don't break. Don't anything. break anything. Okay, take all the extra booze with you. Don't leave. <laughs> Usually, I'm no the one breaking stuff. Yeah, Danny had a. He's got a little crazy sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah. So your parents are probably like, we could totally see you being in the bourbon industry. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how we ended up here. <laughs> me, me neither. That's, that's the funny. It's funny because like, you know, my past career, I was in technology, you know, a lot of it in San Francisco. And uh, I like I'll put out a link about, you know, Penelope Bourbon doing X, Y and Z or some sort of media. It's like a link to an article that we're in. And people are like, wait a second, you're in whiskey. Like they, it's like the most random, definitely thing that we got into. But. No, we we've always loved bourbon, and so we're we're excited to be here and kind of just really just been figuring it out as we go. That's been our whole kind of narrative because we're not from this industry. We we have completely different backgrounds, but you know we both have good entrepreneurial mindsets, and we have very f- kind of different ways in which we can work together. You know, as you guys know, two two founders in a company. I mean, it could be stressful, right? And I think Danny and I have a very good yin and a yang approach to how we operate the business. Which I think helps us tremendously. Oh, we'll probably get yeah, there. we'll get there. We're, I, have a, we're, I have a feeling me and Danny are the spreadsheet guys. Yeah. You two are the handshake guys. Like that's yeah, like, I've never even looked at an Excel spreadsheet. Before, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I do, and I'm like, it's just the numbers you put in them. You know? Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like no, exactly. So actually, we were talking earlier. I, I went to school in Jersey, and when I was there, you know, and I was you know college age. 
I was a big bourbon drinker coming from Kentucky, but I was up there and very rarely did I ever, I saw maybe Jim Beam, Maker's Mark, maybe. That was it at the time. And so talk about the bourbon scene in New Jersey that I guess got you all going down this path. Like, yeah, when did you even like start drinking bourbon? Well, I remember, I mean, I, I actually was originally a big scotch drinker. So a lot of our friends were always more into scotch. I think the the Northeast, a lot of it too, I mean, I think it's dynamically changed, you know, obviously over the past five, 10 years. But for Danny, myself, we were more on the scotch kind of wagon for a little while. And I think it was, you know, it was probably, it was either Eagle Rare or Buffalo Trace, but I'll never forget it. I mean, once I had my, kind of might've been even my first bourbon, it's like, it just takes you down that path. It's so and much I, better than scotch, right? Well, you know, and I, and <laughs> that's I actually, sweet corn. That's sweet that's corn. Sweet corn. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a different profile and I haven't drank scotch for a little while. I mean, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was like a sophisticated scotch drinker. I mean, it was, we were like, you know, 25, 26 drinking doors on the rocks. <laughs> like, it wasn't, just, like it wasn't anything classic. Like you're, you're, wrong. You're, we just, you were faking it at that point. You're like, totally yeah, faking yeah, yeah. it. You're just but looking I, for the effect. It was just, like yeah. the thing to do at the end of the night. You have a dinner, you have a thing of scotch. You know? Yeah, it was very kind of, I, I think all of our parents probably had it in their liquor cabinets or something like that growing up. But you know, I had that first one. Or is it Danny's birthday, or sorry, Danny's parties back in the day. It was just doors yeah. everywhere. Is that just what it was? Taking them from his <laughs> I, I just took all Red his parents' dog. bottles. Red dog. <laughs> Gunny single malts. <laughs> so. Cap off our night. Yeah, no, but I I mean, honestly, for us, so then, you know, I kind of, you know, at, at that point, I just liked bourbon. I mean, that's usually what I started drinking. Tim and I were not big beer drinkers at all. I've never been a big beer drinker. And so once you kind of go down that, your palate kind of gravitates towards that kind of type of spirit, you're in it, right? And bourbon's one of those weird things where, you know, we well, this had nothing to do with even a company at this point. This is just like, and you become interested in it. You know, this is like, you know, not necessarily a hobby, but you're like, oh, this is really cool. And, you know, I remember just talking to my local, you know, liquor store in my town, like, oh, you got something new that's coming. He's like, oh, I got this. And you just start kind of like getting into it. Right. So, you know, I mean, I, and, you know, that's kind of how it all started from a taste profile and just getting our palates acclimated to it. And, you know, we ended up loving it. And well, how- I mean, did you love it as a, like, were you actually like hunting for bourbon at some point? Like, was that part no. of your, your life? I mean, Are we, no, I mean, like we rarely drank anything over $60, I would say, or I didn't. Yeah. me neither. No, I mean, it's all the basics, you know, the core staples, you know, the Buffalo Traces, the Eagle Rares. Yeah. Um, to be fair, well, we, did, we didn't either. Cause bourbon was back then was like 20 bucks. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, it was $60 was like, oh my God, that's like super premium. I couldn't, couldn't fathom spending that much. Yeah. And you see New Jersey coming along too, like, you know, 10 years ago, how much bourbon was on the shelves compared to now. I mean, we're seeing it across the country, but, you know, especially in New Jersey, we're seeing it like a wave and it's fun to be part of that wave. Yeah. Kind of spearheading that a little bit. I mean, if you kind of seen in regards of what kind of what Ryan was saying with New Jersey is, is the whole community or community, this whole state. I mean, do you see a lot of people that are really starting to gravitate towards it more than what you saw when you were growing up? Or is it because now that you're in it, you just maybe recognize it more? Yeah, I mean, and we, we're, we're a small company. I mean, we don't have sophisticated, like, market intelligence, but, you know, I kind of... <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I mean, we all know this from, like, friends and family. Then yeah. All of a sudden, I mean, ever since we started the podcast and started everything else, all of a sudden, now my family has the biggest interest in bourbon that they mm-hmm. never, and this is all from my extended family, and every time there's a news article or something, they're like, oh, have you seen this? I'm like, yeah, I saw the press release a few days <laughs> well, ago. But, well, you we know. still can't get our best friends to drink not drink Jim Beam. Oh yeah, yeah no, that, we give them free bottles. They don't. They're like, they nah. They like handles of Beam and Coke, and they're they're good. 
But uh, no, I think I think you know New Jersey and the Metro New York area has been a big tequila, a big Scotch market. I had spoken about this too. I think at uh, Repeal Day Expo, one of the most fascinating things I've seen was the number of just clubs and groups in the Northeast has exploded just in the last two years alone. Whether it was the big like South Jersey Bourbon Drinkers Group was one of the more kind of recognizable ones in our area down outside of Philadelphia. To now, there's 25, 30, and they just keep growing and growing and growing. And so that that to me is just a very telling sign that there's more folks are not just getting into it, but getting really into it, right? When you're joining a group, you're generally... Yeah, you're just, you're kind of a, you kind of really get into it. It's going one thing from buying a bottle of Bullet to saying, oh, I'm going to go do a bunch of barrel picks and I'm going to buy all these. I'm going to start building a collection and figuring out all the nuances behind it and everything. Like but that. I feel Listen like- to but, the podcast. Listen to the podcast. Yeah. No, exactly. But I even feel like that, that, that pace in which they're getting to that point from the time they're maybe just getting into bourbon to hitting that point is like extremely fast. Do you know what I mean? Like where that now is a very avid consumer- Palette's probably pretty sophisticated, but it's a very kind of quick timeline, I think we're talking about. So I just found it really interesting. And that had nothing to do with even our kind of beginnings. I just think it's amazing that the collections that these people are are putting together, like I always joke that every market we go into, we end up in someone's basement. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, and here you are. We end up, right. And they invite us over. Circle. And we're having drinks and they have giant collections and it's amazing. And, uh, it is a rabbit hole and it's it's what drew me in. I mean, just the fact that, you know, it's so different barrel to barrel and, you know, region to region, all that stuff. Mike said he had a tech background. What was your background before you dove into the engineering? Okay. Yeah. So like I was always in the bar scene in, in college and then I owned a bar after college, but I also did engineering. So it's like this <laughs> you kind of figure out what you wanted to do. Yeah, this marries those two worlds together. You know, it's it's been great. Just like you're you're engineering the bourbon, and then you know, just like in a that that love for spirits and kind of like mechanical, seeing electrical, mechanical, civil, okay, and just seeing like the difference between you know the the different spirits and where they come from and all that stuff. It just drives you nuts. So doing what in mechanical engineering? Go uh, building there. buildings. Building buildings, okay. Yeah. There so you like go. building, you really systems. dumbed it down for us there, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever asked. Nobody cares. What it's funny. I, 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 never, I, I still doesn't him, know what I do. I've known him for so long. I don't think I've ever asked him. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Building building. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> like architecture. That's or, your best or friend. Met, he thought or, I used to build bridges, but no. I always used to say, "Yeah, you build bridges," and you know that that big stuff. Yeah. No, we used to build like a HVAC system. Okay. I'm thinking like big ones, big HVAC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not like. Somebody's just coming up to your house and <laughs> ripping out one and installing right. another kind of thing. Yeah. And I might I might add at our facility in New Jersey, our ventilation is top notch. <laughs> our cooling is extremely sophisticated. And our, you know, we got a good heating system. So And you just now put those dots together, right? You're just like, wait a wait, minute. Wait, that now was I know why. Danny that did that? <laughs> <laughs> that that was his sweat equity in the business. Yeah. Proper ventilation. <laughs> Nah. It's kind of like whenever we own something, we'll have the best Wi-Fi you've ever had. There's just going to be hot spots everywhere. Like there's going to be no drops in anything. <laughs> nice. Mesh routers everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, Michael, we kind of talked a little bit. So you were doing some stuff in technology. So I know we had mentioned before you're kind of working at Salesforce. What kind of drew you into the technology realm? I mean, I mean, I'm a, I, I bounced around. I had a lot of different careers. I mean, when I first graduated 
college, I went out to Los Angeles. I worked at William Morris at the in the mailroom at you know William Morris doing that whole racket in Beverly Hills, working in the mailroom and as an assistant. And then you know my 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 now like my wife now moved back to New Jersey and my now wife sorry sorry but yeah I, I kind of from William Morris I got in touch with an entrepreneur out of New York who had started a company called Buddy Media and so they were the first enterprise platform that managed Facebook for brands so that was right when Facebook was just getting you know really big from a brand perspective like oh wow Coca Cola you can now engage your actual consumer one-to-one. It wasn't just poking people. It wasn't just poking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't just the big poke. And so I I went into that world and um, had kind of been been with it for, you know, up till probably 2018 when we started Penelope. So, you know, went from Buddy to Salesforce. Salesforce, I did uh, enterprise uh, talent acquisition software with uh, smart recruiters and then Dynamic Signal. But, you know, during that time, I think for us, it was... uh, you know, Danny was doing his own thing to it. So just always kind of had a different kind of different type of roles throughout that whole time. So one thing you mentioned at the very beginning is that you both have this sort of like entrepreneurial kind of spirit. What was the impetus that said, all right, I want to kind of give up because I'm sure you're probably like you were like us as well. It's like you've got a pretty good career and we're going to go all in on this idea that we're going to sell whiskey for a living. So what was that thing that made you want to go do that? Yeah. I mean, it was, and Danny, I'll start it off. Cause I remember with, even with bear mattress, I had started an online mattress company with my brother, but I'd never had, I didn't leave my job. Right. And so, and that's still going. He runs that now. I love my bear mattress, by the way. It's Thank nice, you. Right. Yes. It's nice. Fantastic. Nice. Yeah. No, I mean, and you know, I think I, you know, it's funny. I mean, especially when you're working in tech, I mean, there's a lot of like, you just, there's, you're surrounded by the ideas and you, you know, acronyms and everything. Ac- yeah, a lot <laughs> of acronyms. A lot of, a lot of three and four letter acronyms. A lot of yeah. acronyms. But yeah, no, I mean, honestly, for, for me, it was, uh, you know, even when we started Penelope, we still had our full-time jobs. So we founded the company in 2018. I mean, I didn't quit my job until we actually physically started selling it at that point. So it was, you know, a good seven, eight months. From like the day we founded it, the month we founded it, till when we actually started launching. Whose idea was it? Who who was like? (laughs) Everybody's pointing the finger over Mike over here. Big guy. Yeah, (laughs) big idea guy. So what? What he did? What was his pitch? I I remember the exact day. Like we, so all our friends connect on this thing called Marco Polo. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was like a private Snapchat. Yeah, we still use it. Well, we're never on anymore. Yeah. But one day, I just remember he popped on, and he's like, "I'm thinking." Penelope Bourbon. And we're like, what? <laughs> like through Marco Polo. Yeah. Marco Polo. <laughs> and he and he sent it to it. the group of friends. And then we went we were out to dinner later that night and he's he's still on the kick. And uh he's like, you know, let let's do let's do it. Like, do you you want to come with me to uh, a distillery in Indiana? I'm like, Yeah. I'm like, sign me up. I'm in. Originally it was just kind of like I was just gonna be his plus one, right? And then uh we went. And we were working on all the blends and we came up with the blend and then it just, I don't know, we just started working together from there on out. And it was just like, all right, we're, we're, let's do this. So you knew you were going to Indiana. How did you know, what kind of research did you know about starting a brand, sourcing all this? Because that's always a tricky one. I mean, even when we got into starting the the podcast, like we didn't know the background of sourcing. It took a long time for us to learn exactly the ins and outs of the game and a lot of that stuff is really shielded. Most consumers don't know about it and most producers don't want you to know about it. So yeah. I, I'm kind of curious like how you did some research and figured all this out. I remember there was an NPR article 
I don't know if you ever remember the one about MGP. Mm-hmm. Saying what this, uh, your your craft whiskey is actually made in a factory in Indiana. Something so- like that, like the the largest distillery you never heard of. You're right, it was yeah. something, I forget the name of the article, but it was right around that time. Might have been a year or two earlier, but it was definitely the first thing that pops up. I think I Googled like where to buy whiskey. <laughs> like, it was like, I'm not kidding you. That pops up like, hey, this That's is very awesome. timely. No, but you know, my wife and I were trying to have kids for a while. If you've ever gone through that, it's like a very stressful process. Sure. Years and years of that. And uh we, when we found out we were having a girl, I mean, it was, it was like an emotional process and, you know, we had the beds and, and that, but I was like, you know, mattresses, I love, you know, it's just in the great business, but you want to do something, you know, it really consumes your life. I mean, you're going to be living and breathing this for however long you're doing it. And I just was like, well, I, and you know, we weren't even that, like we weren't hunting bourbon, but I liked it and I enjoyed it. And that's what I drank. So I said, Danny, this is a cool idea. And I think purely from a branding perspective, Whiskey is generally very masculine from a brand. So I thought from the core beginning, I'm like, we have the basis of at least something from a brand perspective because it's different. I mean, just pure, purely based on what's out there. And it was different at the time. And so, you know, we never, you know, we knew we, you know, we knew we were two guys from Jersey. And we, so, but we, you know, we said, look, at the end of the day, it's, it's an easy to digest story. It's literally named after my daughter, who's now three years old. So when we started it, she was, my wife was four months pregnant. You know, and that it just was a kept it simple, be super transparent. I remember calling MGP and I talked to, I remember I sent up, I think it was an email, like info at bourbon.com. It was something like, <laughs> it was like something very generic. I, and then I called them and then I did get a phone call back from one of the reps who I still talk to to was this day. Barry Yonke. Barry Yonke. Oh yeah. And Barry's a great guy. Great. He's the man. And I still, he's, a, he's been a mentor of ours. Awesome. Awesome guy. And I remember this so clearly because I know we didn't, I don't do, I don't have business plans. Like there's no business plan. I'm going hundred miles an hour <laughs> and I'm just telling them the whole story, the whole thing. Oh, I got the mattresses and I got this and, but I got the bourbon. I like this. And he, we just hit it off right away. He's like, well, you know, he kind of si- wants to size you up. Why don't you come out here? Right. So fly down. And he's like, do you want a plus one? I'm like, and I, I hadn't even talked to Danny or anybody about this. <laughs> You're just like, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, absolutely. So he, I go, so I had a plus one and then, yeah, we were out and I said, anybody want to go to Indiana? And he, one of my, one of our good friends was like, I'm in, but I got to call my wife. <laughs> Danny just goes, I'm in. And then that was it. So he got the, he got the plus one. But, Talk about that first day in Indiana. Like, you know. Oh my God. Deer in t- talk about the yeah. yeah, process. Like, what do they do when, when you walk into this big, massive, you know, place you buy whiskey from? I showed up in shorts. <laughs> shorts and flip-flops? I had a change and in the security I, room. I'm not even kidding. I brought two pairs of jeans. <laughs> right away, that's when he knew that I was the right partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think Barry like, might have been like, you're in. Barry's like, you didn't read the email? I go, I, you know, it was like a long email. <laughs> Said I, I, re- I read the email and I brought a second pair of jeans for Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got to know the security folks real well. And then, man, that was, that was, that was an interesting, because we've never, trip. I'll be honest with you, I don't think we've ever been to it. We've never done it. I mean, I've been to a wine tasting out in California. I've never been to a whiskey tasting. So that was our first one. And it was all at 40 proof, which threw me a huge curveball because I wanted to know, like, because we just took a consumer approach to this. So I was like, whoa, 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 40 proof folks. This must be an issue. Like, must be a mistake. Like, I need them out. Like, I want to know what I'm tasting. Like, it's as if I'm a, like. We're not selling liqueurs here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, are these guys screwing with us? Did we just take a trip for, but no, it's, I don't know what you want to jump in. No, I mean, the table was full of all the mash bills and like, we were like deer in headlights. We didn't know where to start. And we just start, we just start tasting through. And I mean, we're there. They left the room. So like, they weren't even guiding at all. 
we didn't really know what we wanted. <laughs> so it's you're just sitting here like yeah. Candyland. You're like, like you're shaking very, your head like, uh huh. Yeah. This is the one. Like, maybe. Mike, nod and smile. Mike, yeah, like, smile. but acting like you kind of know what you're doing, but like you're like a pencil. Oh, that's a, that's and a I'd nice be like, one. you do like these funny things. You're like, oh, Dan, you try that one. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you do these like funny like to make sure they know you're like, all right, these guys are like somewhat legit, right? <laughs> Pinky's up. And we we kind of teased it out a little bit. I kind of teased it out, like you know, I didn't say like how many barrels we were gonna buy, but you know, I kind of yeah, we're looking at you know a lot, kind of like you know you kind of like roll the shoulder back. Yeah, we're looking at you know pretty decent amount, you know, like stuff like that. <laughs> Meanwhile, we were we we didn't know what this was. We thought this could be a hobby, right? We weren't gonna. I mean, we 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 weren't no business plan. We're not like going out there raising capital for this idea. This was just something we came up with, and let's have fun and see if it works. So, let's not try to burn a lot of cash if you don't have to. And if we can do it right, maybe on the small, small scale in the beginning, then, you know, maybe that will slowly and surely, you know, keep, keep the momentum going. But yeah, they had everything. I mean, they, we kind of identified, I, the only research I really did was I, I did look at like a Basil's, a Basil Hayden and kind of looked at that 80 proof territory. I thought that was just from a go to market. I thought that was an open area. Well, yeah, because there's before you all came out, it was basically Basil that owned the 80 proof market. There's nobody that competes in there. That was our sole strategy was that that was probably the least crowded from an entry point. And so we, if we went in there, we, we didn't care about our margin because even in the beginning, we were selling it from our cars. So we have our wholesaler license in New Jersey. You know, we'd be able to capture a little extra margin just from doing that in the beginning, at least. And that was tough to just kind of swallow that margin. And, and you're thinking about how to run this business and yeah. You're just like, how are we supposed to like operate on this margin? You know, and you're just like, you got to focus yeah. on the long run and just keep pushing. Like, well, I guess we're not quitting our day job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was very hard because it just was, was really tricky. But the one thing I remember about that MGP, so that was kind of our initial thought from a, from a go to market. And, you know, even coming from the, the, the bear mattress and any sort of company, I mean, I didn't, I didn't understand enough, I guess, about you know, limited releases and things of that nature. What I did understand is product, like a product. And if I'm a consumer and I go to a store and I buy a product and I enjoyed it and I liked it and I go back, I'm going to buy it again. So that's how I viewed it had to be consistent. And we, you know, for the best that we could in the beginning, try to make it readily available at a good price point. So those were our kind of basis of how we kind of wanted to look at it. And so when we went to MGP, I mean, heck, they had a lot of mash bills, two to 11 years on the table, ready for sale. And I just remember- and That was only four, five, four, four and a half years, years ago. ago. Yeah, that you can go back four years and buy those <laughs> right? 11 years, right? Yeah, I know. Wild. Oh my gosh, that'd be, yeah, no, I've, we always say that. And they're like, well, you don't want the 11 year? <laughs> we were the probably only people that went in there, got offered 11, I mean, everything was on the table. Barry sent me that 11 year, like on the side, because he knew I loved it, the 99 corn. Oh the, yeah, that was, <laughs> I never got that though. Anyway, so we, we, what we, what kind of what we started gravitating towards was I remember asking them because it was dumb questions at the time, but I was going to back to that product thought. I need to have this available. So I was like, all right, guys, well, and this is the MGP. I was like, well, wait a second. So if I buy the seven year now, say I buy like two barrels of it, just call it simple, and then we bottle it and everything's great and people like it, and I go to buy, you know, bottle more of that the next day or the next month or next year, they're like, well, we might not have it available. And it just, I just couldn't wrap my head around that. So, you know, we're probably the only people that went in there and passed on the 11 year and bought the two to three year old. So it might have, might have been, right? Just because it was readily available and you could, something you could scale on, depend on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yep. Plus, it felt yeah, it felt weird, like eleven year bourbon, and we were just kind of so new to the yeah. business. And we were, I mean, we were going through the different mash bills, and I remember like we were liking different mash bills, the two of us, and because we weren't even set on doing a blend when we first walked in there, and it just kind of evolved. I think after like an hour of tasting through, I just said. Oh, I like this. And Mike's like, oh, I like this mash bill. And, and then we're like, well, let's just start putting them together and, and just tinkering from there. And those are the three same mash bills that we use across 99% of our products. Did they yeah. did they help you in like the saying like, or is it simple as like, <laughs> they just walked out of the room? Yeah. As simple as like, nope, I like this mash bill. You like that one. And we'll split the difference on this one and put them together. Barry, Barry did say, sitting back with his arms at the end, he goes, oh, well, that's a four green. Yeah, <laughs> and I go all right, and I look at the, this is our original bottle design. So this is the the original barrel. So they just put it right on the front. I was like, it is a four grain front label. Yeah, <laughs> we had that checked off the box. I go, thanks, Barry. Uh, but that 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 was really it. I mean, we like Danny said, we have used those same three mash bills for our entire product portfolio, and it's been helpful for us because for our eighty proof in particular, it's um, slow and steady. So our barrels are getting older. So, you know, two to three year, I mean, it wasn't the oldest, obviously, when we came to market, but we were able to create somewhat of a unique blend for us, at least had wheat and, you know, had obviously corn and rye and, you know, it kind of just went from there. And well, we, we both liked it too, yeah. which I think spoke because we're, we're so different, like the yin and yang thing. So like, and we both had different profiles. So I think that helped too. Seems like you would like nice and easy. And he's like, Full proof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he liked Our the rye. palates would have been ready for full proof, <laughs> no. I mean, honestly. I remember when we came out with the full, because we came out with the 80 first for a couple of months. That was the first couple of batches. Yeah. yeah. And our first batches were horrible. I mean, that was the just, we just put it out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, I mean, we had some, some tricky, slippery slopes. Like, you know, you learn things along the way. I mean, I remember walking into one of our, the first bottling side and I was just like, they're like, all right, tell us your blending methodology. I'm like, well, what, what do you mean? That's what I thought. That's what we got you. Like, you got, we got you guys. Go, go, talk, <laughs> go talk to Barry. Yeah. I, I, They're like, here's two guys in a forklift. Go do your thing. Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. That was a blind spot. The whole blending thing was a little bit of a blind spot. <laughs> you kind of that big blind spot in the beginning. And that's why, honestly, so when we went to go purchase, I remember we, we were like, well, we'll do like, and we kind of like, we're like putting in like a chip playing poker and we're like, Six barrels. <laughs> like we did it like that. We like slid a chip in and they're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And I go, you know, we don't want to, we don't know what we're doing. Like we don't even have a bottling partner. So now I got six barrels, but I don't, you know, and so I think that was a really smart thing to, I mean, our caps didn't fit. And, uh, you know, the, we got the analogy, well, it's like, you know, wearing jeans after you take them out of the dryer. And I was like, well, I don't like wearing jeans out of the dryer. They're so tight. <laughs> or so, after an all-you-can-eat buffet, one or the other, right? <laughs> just have, you, you guys have probably seen this. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's just a gazillion things that Stuff can- Stuff you don't even think about. Exactly. Yeah. Until you think you have Until to Until you think about, about it, right? Because you're like, oh, wow, that's- yeah. Like even our first white like, label. What do you mean though? It won't fit in the cardboard box we ordered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, and you know, we didn't even think, like when you pour- like our first label was just turned brown from all the drips and it just looked really bad. Like very little things that you just have to, it's only going to, I personally, it just comes from just doing it. And so it's, uh, I like that we didn't overthink anything when mm -hmm. we got into this. It was just like, Hey, we need bourbon. Hey, do you want to go to Indiana? All right. Yeah. All right. We got bourbon. I remember driving from MGP to the airport and we're like, all right, we got bourbon. Uh, now what? And we're like Googling like licenses and, and <laughs> yeah. like, you know, we're like literally just like step by step taking it as it came. 
you know, even when I opened a bar, it was like 45 page business plan or something. Like we didn't have a business plan. <laughs> no, we just were going. But that was, you know, and that was the other thing that we've done that's been, in, I mean, just not, there is a lot to this industry looking back on it now from, you know, not just the supply chain and the product side of things, but also the the regulatory aspects you got to deal with. The, it's such a decentralized business across all these states and countries to, you know, little things like one of the biggest X factors is the entire sales and distribution side of the business, which is like a whole nother oh, yeah. beast, which I, in the beginning, I didn't want to wrap my head around it. That's why I was like, we'll just sell it ourselves. Call the engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was too much to soak in because like the product consumed us just figuring out like the permits in this, you know, I mean, heck, if you saw just some the of the first our, thing you need to get out the door. Yeah, exactly. And so that was a big, uh, I mean, if you saw some of our first sell sheets we did for it, the terminology we used made no sense. <laughs> Uniquely blended two, like sometimes we'd say two mash bills. Like I don't even think we really even knew what we had. Like we're, and then, you know, as, as you do it and you do another batch and maybe that's eight barrels and then you do another batch, you kind of, whatever went wrong in the prior one, you correct it. And I think over time Danny just naturally, this was a right in his wheelhouse. And so, you know, we started slowly, but surely kind of developing out our process for blending. Mm-hmm. And now it's we got a pretty pretty good iron out one. And that's which is what, which is what? Well, that's what's been nice about using the same three mash bills. It's like, you know, if I think if you put that mash bill in front of me now, you know, like I could I could probably pinpoint like where the year and all that stuff. You know, and just so I think using three mash bills allowed us to really be owners of those mash bills and be able to blend them and and tweak them how we need to like make the best out of those barrels. But yeah, our, I mean, our blending process really starts with just going through the batches. You know, each batch is like a little different, you know, very, a couple nuances. Some mash bills at MGP are, are wildly different between batches. Some are much more consistent, even like just learning like palletized batches versus, you know, side fills and all that stuff. But um, just selecting the batches is important first time around. And then once you have the batch, then you bring them in and then you taste through all the barrels and just kind of like pull out any outliers. You know, there's usually like, I don't know, 20% is usually like a little different, you know, maybe not super consistent. And like, maybe like 5% of them are not good. So you <laughs> call good. okay, there we it's go. like, you got to put them, like they go back. Like I wouldn't even use them for anything right now. And then the other 15% are just kind of outliers that may become single barrels in the future or start aligning with other barrels in that batch. From there, just kind of like, blending those barrels together and then letting them sit and then starting to blend the mash bills together. And then it's just a numbers game at that point. It's like, how many iterations of, of mixing can you do that? And then just tasting through them and then kind of like whittling away at it and then like honing in on what the perfect blend is. And like a lot of times there is not like one perfect blend. Like last night we were tasting four different blends that like we're all very good on their own, but just a little different, you know, all from the same barrels. And that whittled down from like f- maybe 40 uh, samples or 40 different iterations. So it's just like, I guess the the thing is, it's just a numbers game, I think, at that point. Like finding finding good juice, right? And then working down from that. So is the idea of doing that, you are are trying to create different batches or different blends that go, go into each release of Penelope to try to make them a little bit different? Or is it still, as Mike, as you had said in the beginning, trying to maintain that level of consistency from the get-go? 
Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So is the idea of doing that, you are are trying to create different batches or different blends that go in, go into each release of Penelope to try to make them a little bit different? Or is it still, as Mike, as you had said in the very beginning, you're trying to maintain that level of consistency from the get-go? Well, on our, so on our four grain, which is our 80-proof traditional offering, that is meant to be consistent. You kind of know what you're going to purchase from a consumer perspective. So the barrel strength, that was a, a work in progress. Like if you, the first couple batches of it. So I think we did write batch one on the first batch. Then I go, whoa, I don't know what that, like in batch two, there's nothing on the label. Then, or, you know, it might've been something like the batch three, we went back to it. And then I remember telling him, I'm like, you know what? This is a batched release product. It's higher end. Let's let the barrels dictate what this is going to be versus... Because we were trying to blend to the same profile and it was just yeah, like, well, it wasn't hard. coming out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah. It's, they're just different barrels and yeah. you have to treat them... And unless you're doing it at scale at like hundreds of barrels, it's, it is kind of hard to kind of find that, that consistency. Right. Mm-hmm. But those, those were little things that for not like, you know, for not really, you know, not knowing as much as... We just didn't know a lot. Like we didn't know about that. Like... And I think when we got to batch four, that particular one, then got into five, we started to really get it. Like it's almost kind of like a light bulb goes off. You're like, all right, now I can, I, like we're, we're feeling good about a process for our barrel strength. We're feeling good about a process for our foregrain. And, you know, then once you're in a rhythm, it's like, okay, what can we do now with this, with this kind of blend that we're doing? Where else can we take it? So it's kind of, I think that's probably where it probably all started to help is when we actually right. kinda, like had a better idea. Yeah, like building the foundation and kind of growing from there. You know, not, then we started looking into cast finishes or what could we do with these different mash bills. And then, yeah, you know, now we're kind of bringing in new mash bills, right? And starting to learn them. So it's just kind of like taking little baby steps. Yeah. And you guys know, like Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. No. This is a long, you know, it's just, it's a long game. And it's, it's okay. It's like, you know, our, we're okay with the age statements. 
that we've always had. Um, our biggest thing is we just want to continually show progression. So, uh, you know, that's our kind of, that's like our internal, you know, goal for ourselves is like, can we do this better than the previous batch? Right. And that's always been kind of how we've looked at it with yeah. what we're working with. Cause you know, like cause you're only, you're, you're only as good as what you have. Right. So you, you know, it's not like I can go back and call MGP and get that 11 year. No, it's like, no. I can't, like, like hey, 5% of it. I'll just need to add a little something, something to this blend. It's like, that's not, that's just not how it works right now. So yeah. Michael, so if, okay. I, if I remember correctly, without naming names or something like that, you know, going back into the idea of in the business, as Ryan says, whatever can go, will go wrong. Did you all have an issue with a bottling at one point? where the lines weren't cleaned or something like that? Yeah. Well, no, I was actually, I was getting into that story a little bit, but little things. It's happened a couple. Has happened a couple of times. I mean, it's just little things you don't think about where, you know, I mean, I would have well, never tell, tell the story that. a little bit without naming names. Of yeah, people. no, yeah, no, I absolutely. Think a, I think it's a funny one. Well, it was kind of one of our first, first go at it. And, and you know, we were all excited and we didn't know what we were doing. This is kind of earlier on. And uh, yeah, it just happened that there was like this, like, jalapeno tequila that was being run before oh, our wow. product and you know that's got some oils in it you know and we you know i had no idea those aren't even questions i'd even ask like oh what did you run before this just out of curiosity so i'll never forget it that came off the line and it was uh it just i, I You're like this one's a spicy one <laughs> <laughs> i and we we still have About a couple 36 percent in between in this one yeah. but I, yeah and it was we, i there's i have bottles of it just as the key i just wrote like jalapeno on the outside of them and that was part of our one of our earlier batches and you know it's it's funny we laugh about it now but that we almost i almost ended up getting i'm like we are way in over our heads like yeah. we're we're like that that's a lot that's a lot of sunk costs i mean it's still got a lot of these cases at our warehouse so i'm like that's a big hit for us out of the get-go but one of the things, if you look at it like the, and you know, it's a fun, and now it's kind of a funny story. You know, I got like this, like, you know, jalapeno kind of awesome little <laughs> yeah. bourbon. And taco bourbon. Yeah. I and you, I can, you can use it for your Bloody Marys. It was actually pretty good if you It was, if you, if you knew, knew what was, you were getting. Yeah. Like if I knew I was getting a spicy, like spicy kind of bourbon, like it, that, would, uh, it would be great. Old, right. The Tabasco barrels yeah, right. or whatever. I actually think it was better than that. <laughs> <laughs> you must say so yourself yeah i gotta say it's actually pretty good but well, like, there's been things like that all, all the time all the time almost every every time we run you know it's it's been like that and i'm so glad y'all are like willing to share this because most people think like oh sourcing whiskey just buy some barrels and throw oh. it in a bottle put a no. label on it it's so easy and i'm like you have no idea how no, it's, all this shit could go wrong goes wrong every I time and, you know, the, like the engineering side of me, you know, it's manufacturing. It's a manufacturing process, no matter how small of a batch you do or to the biggest batch you do. And there's just, there's things that are going to go wrong. And you have to try to mitigate those risks by just having checks. You know, we still will taste every batch before it goes in that first bottle. And also we taste every single bottle off the line because, you know, they'll have like maybe a six bottle filler or a 10 bottle filler. I'll taste every single bottle because... We had a time where one filler head had residue in it from another run. Oh, no. So one out of every eight bottles was tainted. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. You know how hard and that we, was to and go we, back and figure that we out? Only, we only realized that because we were tasting every bottle off the line like every half hour, 40 minutes, I think. And then you grabbed the bottle off the table and you were like, well, this doesn't taste right. Yeah, this does not taste right at so all. So we stopped the we stopped the production and we had them lay out every single case. I think it was like 160 cases 
And the next at the time, that was a that's a lot. lot. The next morning, Mike and I came in at like eight a.m. and tasted through every single bottle. Spit, of course. Yeah, but and (laughs) then pulled out all the all the bad ones and uh, and then had to basically dump them all back in and rebottle. So. But I think the net of it was like, at the end of the day, we know there's always going to be issues. It's going to happen. It's manufacturing. It's nothing's perfect. So it's no one's, no one's real fault. It's the, what I think what we got out of it was, you know, how you're like, A, having a really good process beforehand, just having some of that figured out from our side help, but also the, it's where your partners come into play. So having a good partnership with these folks where you're able to talk through an issue that comes up and coming up with a solution. I mean, it's like no one, no one's intended for this stuff to happen. And sometimes it just does. And that's, that's the best you can do is what's your, you know, if something does happen, how do you fix it? And if something happens to go into the hardest part is when it goes into market, you know, and that's when you have to figure, that's when you really have to dive into it. But all of the folks we've ever worked with have been very, very, you know, amazing to work with in that regard. And I think everyone understands that small things happen from time to time. So Luckily, we've been able to catch a lot of this stuff early. Mm-hmm. And uh, but as you're a small business and you're growing, you know every single dollar matters. Matters, and yeah, you know if if we ruined one whole batch of bourbon, it I mean it would have like put us way out. I know we were somewhere, and they were talking about how one of their forklift drivers like dropped an entire tote of you know their blend they were going to bottle, and I was like. If that happened to us, we'd be bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, no, it's I like mean, we need every single dime out of that tote, you know. Exactly. You're, it's that's, scary. That was the scary part because we weren't, you know, our wives were like kind of cool with this. <laughs> like they're, put it this way, they're starting, they're still not even cool with it. They're it takes starting a while. to get cool with it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, that's, and that, you know, that keeps us on our toes. One thing, so I think from, and I'm sure you guys deal with this too, but we're at every bottling run. We're there like it. And I think stuff little like little things like having an extra set of eyes on it, um, I think helps a lot. So before we, we turn this into a two hour episode, here, oh, yeah, I kind of want to I kind of want to just kind of ask one question as we start thinking about, you know, you, you've started to figure out the right partners. I know we're sort of like whiskey cousins now because we're all doing stuff at Bardstown together and stuff mm-hmm. like that, too. How are you figuring out how to scale the business? As we kind of talked at the very beginning here, you're in 26 states, four countries, probably trying, trying to figure out how to go beyond that. How are you How are you figuring out how to bring in capital and how to scale this? Because you mentioned it's hard to get in 26 states and four countries when you're buying eight barrels at a time. So like you've got to blow that up somehow. How are you able to do Just that? Just one bottle per, <laughs> one yeah. Bottle per state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's interesting. So I think one of the things that has helped us a lot is just the premiumization of the industry. So barrel strength, I think so in that that sixty to sixty-five dollar price range has really become it's a nice sweet spot. It's become extremely big too. I mean, I think much so, even so more than maybe two years ago. I mean, that that would be my take. So for us, what's interesting is it was always very tight. Every bottling run was we're looking at the numbers. Can we run this much? Can we not run this much? I think for number one is we knew we had a we never really looked at a product margin. We always looked at a blended margin. So what's our blended margin? Assuming we're going to sell through this, you know, kind of getting an idea of how much cash flow we can actually have to potentially put in for another wave of barrels. The number one biggest expense we'd always have would be barrels. Like, you know, you know, that was our biggest, biggest challenge. And where we'd always run into big obstacles, we're leading into like the OND, like October, November, December period. So we'd want to do a bottling run, say in late July, early August. 
And, you know, like you guys know, it's just going to tie up ca- like cash flow is tied up for a while, almost six months, probably, you know, assuming you're getting paid on time. This is where the spreadsheets come in handy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's why I'm like, all right, talk to me about cash flow. <laughs> but that, that was our big thing. I mean, even to this day, it's still, you know, really always like we're still kind of always looking at that because there's it just sometimes you always feel that there's never any end in sight to it. Right. It's like, how do yeah, I get a hamster wheel? How do I get out above it? And I always try to explain this to my brother and my father because they don't have, they don't, they're not into this. So they, they didn't really get it. But it's like, how do, no matter what, if you add more markets, you need more product, which costs more money. And that will, that doesn't really end until you do it. So we, I think we, for us, we, we finally started looking at like asset based loans because one thing about the barrel industry is that it's an appreciating asset. So that was a big initiative for us was, I think we just realized like, and this is far out and this still to me is hard to, to wrap your head around is new fills. If, it, you know, you, you got to look at it more generationally, which is crazy for, for us to even say at this point, only a couple of years in, but it's the truth. If you're going to do it for a while, you have to, you have to lay down new fills. And yeah, that's where you make up a lot of margin, you know, when you're, when it new make versus sourced, you know, to even two to three year old. But even, even, even so, supply, even supply. Right. Yeah. And having when supply you get to a certain point, it just, you're not going to be able to source. I mean, have you all seen that already when you go back to MGP and like, hey, we need this? And they're like, mm, sorry, guys. Yeah. Or, yeah. All sorry, time. guys. Amazing. It's that plus an extra 30% on the price. Yeah. Well, we, you know, and, and that was a big thing was we always worked directly with MGP. I mean, it was just more, we just got all, I mean, we, it was just part of our process. We, you know, we didn't, we never got too big, you know, big into the broker market. In fact, we only know maybe a handful of them really, but we always bought our barrels through MGP and, you know, we, we had to figure out how we can shore up barrels and how we, we maintain those on very, you know, we don't have millions of dollars to put into it. Right. And so kind of structuring an agreement that allowed us to do that was, you know, was mission critical for us with the notion that we also are laying down new fills. So that that was a big, big piece. And that was something we worked on pretty much for most of 2021. Yeah, it's a it's a weird, very capital constrictive business. It's like, you gotta have product to sell today, money for that. You have to have invest money for to sell next year, but you also have to have money to sell for the next six years. <laughs> and so, or 10 years. And it's just like very daunting initially until you hit a certain scale point and, the spreadsheet is somewhat directionally correct and it all works out. But, uh, and then yeah. not to mention it's a, it's a heavy marketing, marketing driven business where you, a lot of the big guys out there are dumping a lot of money into their marketing spend. And yeah. you know, when you're just starting you don't have marketing dollars. No, I got sticker mule stickers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't, we don't have much in terms Vista of print. Yeah. Yeah. Vista print. That was a big, we still use Vista print, but you know, it's uh, it's some fun, you know, part of it too is you get into it and we were totally naive about some of these, obviously some of these much more like important kind of business, you know, like how the business actually operates at a, you know, at, at a macro level. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I mean, there, you know, the SBA is out there too. There's some really good avenues to, to you know, find capital. But for us, we're proud. I mean, we, we own this outright. We don't have any investors. That was a really big thing for us. So trying to find money any way we could in those early few batches. I'm talking when we kind of got to like batch five through seven, you know, four to seven where you're like, okay, well, what were some of the numbers? The barrels were getting bigger. It's like, oh, we're yeah. going to run like 70 barrels. I mean, I mean, we did a run one time where I think we had like 10 extra corks, 
you know, like we were, <laughs> we were like literally, literally yeah, trying not to, you know, overspend in every little area just to, just to keep the. Damn, Danny needs to do our spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. He is good. Pretty, getting, that's the, pretty good. He was good. <laughs> like on yields, I'm really, he's I really good at yields. like a couple of cases he's, on, he's a on a big batch yield. So from the get go, it was like yeah. rain man status. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, damn, man. I was more like finger to the sky, like, okay, you say this, let's you know, buffer some percentage to make sure we're safe. But no, it's been helpful. But yeah, man, it's just, there's never, it's just sometimes it feels like it's just an uphill battle, you know? Or Mike always says it feels like a house of cards, which it really does feel like. Some days oh, yeah. you wake up and you're just like, oh my God, what did we do? <laughs> and then some days it feels good. Somebody told us really early on, I forget who it was, but they said this industry is a huge emotional roller coaster. You're going to have really big highs and, and pretty big lows. I can attest to that. Yeah. So, and then not only that, but since we started it and so we founded the company June, 2018, and we started selling it, what was it? March, 2019. Since that point, we've had five children between the two of us. Yeah. Wow. So five been busy. N- little nuggets running around. In all kinds of ways. Yeah. It's been wild, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the best things is the community. It's just like making making friends, you know, like you hanging out with you guys, like just, I mean, it's been so welcoming. I mean, I did come from construction in New York City where like you say the wrong thing, you end up in the river. But, <laughs> I mean, everybody's been Here so friendly. Here you end up on a podcast. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. every market we go into, people invite us over, you know, they yeah, want, they awesome. want to have drinks, just meeting people. And, and it's been unbelievable traveling around, just, you know, like seeing all, hanging out with all different people. And it's just been great. It's like we're all in it together. Yeah. You know, how right. it's at the end for of the winner, day. For win or lose, we're all in it no, together. No, it's how we always view it as like anything we can do to help anyone and vice versa. Like we ask people tons of questions all the time. And so it's tough to do it on your own. So I got, no, it's probably two more, two more questions to kind of wrap this up. First was, I know that you had released at some point in the past was a 13 year light whiskey. And for some reason, we've seen those pop up a lot. What was the reason of kind of going that way versus standing to your traditional four grain blend and stuff like that? We liked it. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it I, good? I had gotten MGP had passed along a couple barrels to us, and I didn't. You know, I don't know. I just was so off brand for us, and you know, we were we had gotten offered some light whiskey probably back in early 2020, maybe about that time, and it just was very early for us. I mean, we were still trying to conceptualize is it a batch release for barrel strength or not so i don't know and then they kind of sent over another set of barrels to us when was it maybe september around september time frame mm-hmm. we both loved it i was like wow that's really good we had 31 of them and you know we decided to do like an lto in january like let's release it it's our first non four grain it's not it's the first product we've released that's not our blend so yeah and i i mean i and that's our name number one like test thing is like, do, does he like it? Does it, do I like it? If we both like it, let's roll. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. Let's not overthink it. It's just, let's have fun with it. But yeah, no, we absolutely loved it. I've seen a lot of it pop up, you know, like the Obtanium. I've seen a lot of Obtanium out there. I think old Carter has some, some, they put out some of those American whiskey batches. I don't know if it's all light whiskey, but I'll be honest with you. I know why the, why people like it. It's because it's good. It tastes good. <laughs> it tastes really good. It's an interesting, like, so it's funny right after we released it, I, I was, I was very surprised by the reaction to, I'd say the bourbon, some of the real heavy bourbon folks that are real into it for light whiskey. 
Some people go crazy for this stuff. So I was, I was very surprised. Like within like three days of releasing, I tried calling MGP. I'm like, do you guys have any more of that light whiskey? And they're like, no. Barry's no, like, no, Barry's Nobody it. has it. No, nobody has Drain. it. Drain. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it was, it was just a random one-off release for us. But what it allowed us to do was create, you know, we bought these barrels. So we got to call it our founder's reserve. You know, it's like one of those tongue in cheeks, like it's something I, we literally come up with these things like within like three minutes. It'll be like 2 a.m. Yeah. Usually all of our decisions founders are made at 2 a.m. 2 a.m. Founders collection? Ah, too long. Uh, what about uh, just any and random And it's like, stuff. Mike, I got to put the label order in tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. We're like, just, duh, I'm not crazy about it, but just go with it. <laughs> so yeah, no, I mean, that, that was light whiskey in a nutshell, which was pretty fun. Well, interesting yeah. take. So I guess the last question I'll kind of throw at you is sort of, What's on the horizon for you all? Because now that you're you're both in full time, correct? Oh yeah. So all in full time doing this in the whiskey business. So what's sort of the the next phase? Is it is it continuing to scale? Is it potentially keep putting down new make and hopefully at some point those sort of like have a, a nice you know greased motion to it, so it's continually just kind of rolling through. And like, how much are you going to put down? Is it going to continue to grow? Or are you going to find out like this is our comfort zone? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think from a new make perspective, the biggest achievement, I didn't care how many it was. I just wanted to start the process. And I, because I knew we were already behind. You're already behind the eight ball. Second you sell your first bottle, you're right. behind. You're behind. You're like, should have done this six years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But you know, it takes time. Like it's just, you know, it's hard to get there. I mean, it's like, unless you just have really deep pockets and you can go and buy it, which we, we didn't have. So we couldn't do that. But big thing for us was starting the new fill engine, how we add to that or throttle it or change it. TBD, right? Let's just have the process going. We have, we put out annual commitments now for the year. And, you know, if we sense that we may need to throttle and it makes sense for us, we can go ahead and do that, especially uh, looking at it by a particular mash bill perspective. So if we think like we, maybe wheat might be the priority, then maybe we like throttle those numbers a little bit. You know, what's interesting this year is uh, for us, it's is really thinking about market launches a little bit more systematically and really have trying to have a plan. I mean, for the first time ever, what, we, we know what we're releasing this year? <laughs> and that might change. I'm sure it will change. But we actually put together, we had a product, we have like a product plan with like a release calendar. Yep. It'll be on Breaking Bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, like on our whiteboard in our office. So it's like, all right. So we at least are, you know, and that, that was last year. We would never have had that. It was just like, like something comes up and it's like, oh, it's, that sounds like cool. Like, how do we do it and tweak it? And so having that kind of plan in place and, you know, thinking about products and, you know, trying not to make things overcomplicated. So, but yeah, and I don't know, that's at least what I'm thinking about. You know, I think this, this is a big year to build out the operation side and kind of, and, and get pieces in place for growth, you know, get our logistics in order because when that scale starts happening, you need to be ready. And, you know, we're at a point where, all right, we, we have the engine running decently, right? It's not like a 2022. It's probably like a 2014 Honda or something, but it's, it's running. Long. It's getting there. Yeah. <laughs> getting you from A to B. Yeah. So get the operations in place so that, you know, if, if we do start scaling faster next year, that, that we can do it, you know, warehousing logistics. I mean, we have our blending and bottling facility up in New Jersey. And it's been, it's been great. It's been great to be like hands-on with everything and, and really, uh, you know, kind of dive into that, be able to like do cast finishes hands-on because you have to taste that stuff a lot. Very, you know. Yeah, you've got about yeah, a window of a week until it, it turns goes out. Exactly. Yeah. We start, we learn that quickly. Yeah. And then uh, kind you of- have a horror story from that? <laughs> we still have, what was it, a sherry finish? Yeah. That is just, 
it's awful. I don't think we'll ever. <laughs> so, yeah, we so we sure wait. We have, comes out, uh, yeah, if you thought Sherry finished it, might have been like, well, what are we going to do with it? I mean, it, it's it's like jet. It's like jet black. It's I mean, jet black. It's, oh wow. No, but it was like we we yeah, and it was it, we've got a couple of those just sitting in those mm-hmm. those totes, those smaller totes, those food grade totes. But yeah, I mean, we we, I mean that that's been a big piece for us is actually so we've always had the same facility, but we was just one little piece of it was for our finished goods warehouse. That was our one piece to it. And then, you know, the last year we did build out, you know, it's nothing, it's a 3000 square foot spot. So it's like a six bottle filler, you know, a couple totes, a couple tanks, excuse me. And uh, Danny's done a great job kind of operationalizing that we have, a you know, building out the team and gives you a lot of freedom to do R&D to just have your own kind of place you can call home has been really big for us. Yeah. Really cool. Well, guys, Thank you so much for coming on the show today yeah. and sharing more about your story. I think that's probably the the one thing that we love to be able to do is kind of have founders on and tell about what it takes to get there and you're and actually hearing all the the failures for your <laughs> yeah. fail, failure forwards, you know, all those sort of instances that do end up happening along the way. So it was a pleasure. No, I'm, thank I'm you. Glad guys. y'all were humble enough to share it because it's not all glam and glitz in this business. <laughs> no. so, yeah. You know, whereas a lot of people think it is. No, no, it's tiring. It is fun. (laughs) It is. So if people want to learn more about Penelope Bourbon, where do they find out about you all? Uh, Check our website, PenelopeBourbon.com. Also check us out on Instagram, at Penelope Bourbon. So we'd love to uh, connect. Feel free to check us out. Cool. Well, Mike, Danny, thank you again for coming on the show. So follow them on all the socials. Follow us as well. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. If you want to, go to our website, BourbonPursuit.com. We've got an emailing list. You can sign up there so you never miss an episode. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week.